Well, good morning. Um, I want you to consider with me uh, a quote, a concept uh, from long ago um, by the name, comes from a man by the name of Blaise Pascal. Um, if you're familiar with him, 14th century philosopher, theologian, mathematician, a whole lot of things that Pascal has on his resume. And one of the things that he is most known for, for saying and noticing is speaking to the reality that every human being is, has been made. Every single man, woman, and child that has ever walked the face of this earth lives with this God-shaped vacuum within their heart that ultimately, of course, can only be filled, given that it's God-shaped, can be filled by God himself. Now, Pascal, brilliant as he was, that idea is not really original to him. Pascal, Pascal gets this idea from the author of Ecclesiastes. The author of Ecclesiastes tells us that God has put eternity into the heart of man. He's put eternity into the heart of man, which is to say that every one of us, every one of us is searching to be human, to have the God-shaped vacuum. To have eternity in your hearts, to be a human being, means that we are searching, we are looking, we are on a quest, all of us inquiring the, for answers to the great questions, not just of our lives, but even we could say of, of existence. What, what questions of origin, question of meaning, questions of identity, questions of, of fulfillment and satisfaction and, and purpose and direction. Now, how, how can such huge questions uh, be answered? Uh, where, where do they land when you start asking those kinds of questions? And, and what sorts of options are before us? Well, this, this may surprise you, but when you look back, historians will tell us, if you go back in, into the 20, excuse me, the first century, first century Greco-Roman world, Really, when you take a look at the, the, uh, the survey of that part of the world, at that time of the world, um, there are a whole lot of possibilities, a whole lot of different ways to answer those big questions. Lots of gods, lots of religions, lots of philosophies, lots of, of worldviews, lots of potential saviors. And, and there was not any one place in which there was, anyone was saying to you, yeah, that's the one way, and you're obligated to follow that path in the Greco-Roman culture of the first century. You might have thought we were just describing the Western culture of the 21st century. When you consider that how our, the ethos of our day is so similar in that sense to the ethos of, of that day, my truth is my truth. What's true is what works. What works is what's true, that, that, that sort of, of thing. And what's interesting is when you consider the ethos of the first century Greco-Roman world and the 21st century Western world, into both of those time periods and everything in between comes the words of Jesus, which is a bit stark of a contrast in terms of what he says. So we're continuing on this morning in this little mini-series um, through Jesus's I Am 
statements as recorded for us in John's gospel. We've covered quite a few of these already. Uh, we are almost at the end, not quite, almost at the end of it. We're in John 14. In John chapter 14, we're going to be looking at especially at verse 6, John 14, verse 6. But we're going to be reading John 14, verses 1 through 7. So it's going to be on the screen. So if that's what you'd like to follow along, that's fine. If you prefer to look through your Bible and you're not sure where, where to go, this is the fourth of the four Gospels that we have. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 14, roughly two-thirds of the way through the Gospel of John. John 14, starting in verse 1. Hear now God's word. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Well, can we just stop to pray for a moment? Jesus, would you please help us here? All of us, no matter what our heart's conviction, uh, when we hear such words, all of us need you at this moment um, to not hear these words with a spirit of pride or arrogance or combativeness. Um, all of us need to hear these with, without a sense of resistance um, or, or offendedness. All of us need to hear this, because they're your words, to hear this with open receptiveness and humility, with, with a teachable spirit. Uh, we, we plead for that. We need that more than, than we know. Every single one of us here, uh, would you put us there in the crowd? Would you help us to hear you speaking, speaking to us now? not in some imaginative, imaginary theoretical sense, but really truly to hear your speaking to our hearts through your spirit now. We pray in your name. Amen. It might be helpful to set the context uh, for these words. What, 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 where did this come from? Why did Jesus say what he does in, in verse 6? So let me just kind of peel it back for you just for a moment. If you go back into chapter 13, Jesus has begun to tell his disciples that he is going to leave. He is going to leave them. Well, now with that, they're a little upset, understandably so. So then he begins to try and comfort them, to assure them, urging them to trust him, to continue, as they have shown little glimmering signs, to continue to trust in his Father, and with that, to also trust in himself. He also paints a picture for them and promises that, that there is this house that's an image that he's using, but there's this house to which he is departing to prepare a place for them. He's going to return, and he's going to take them to this house of which he speaks. So yes, he's departing, but it's not a forever parting is, is the idea. And then he says these enigmatic words that, of course, Thomas latches onto and immediately responds to, as Thomas is prone 
to do in his own personable way. Jesus says, I'm going to this place, but you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas seizes on that and says, of course, we don't know where you're going. And of course, with that, we certainly don't know the way. And then Jesus says these startling words in verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now understand that those were bracing words then. They are bracing words now. They always have been. I wonder how they land on you this morning. Those words that Jesus speaks, they're as recorded for us in John 14, 6. How do they land on you, us, you, me, together this morning? Our struggle at this point is not that these are confusing words and they don't make sense and we don't understand what he's saying. That's not our problem. Our problem is we understand what he is saying all too well. And we are offended. We are brought up short here. Such words, such ideas, sound to our uh, the, the ears with the, that, that our cult, by which our culture has formed us sound intolerant, sound insensitive, does not sound at all uh, the way that we are accustomed to, pressured into, and programmed into thinking. What Jesus is saying here in John, the words he's saying here in John 14. But the, we cannot escape the reality of what he's saying and the import of what he is saying that clearly he's saying, you must look to me alone. Not just, he, Jesus is not saying here, hey, I know a guy, I know, I know a way, I know one way, I know a host of possibilities, I know a way, I know a truth, I know a life. Here's one you might want to try. That's not what he says. He says, no, there's one, and it's me. He's making very clear. He could not be any clearer when he says that we must look to him alone for he alone is our access to God. We must look to him alone for he alone is our access to God. Now with that how, how do we see this in our text that he is in fact alone our access to God? Well that may sound self-evident it may sound really obvious but it is worth drilling down into to get really specific on this point. How do we see that he alone is our access to God? We see it in two ways. This is, if you've got the outline, this is where we're going. First, just simply through the claim Jesus makes of himself. And then secondly, the implications that, that actually he draws out of the claim. Okay, so these two things. First, the claim that he spells out, and then the implications of the claim that he makes plain as well. So the claim. What is Jesus saying of Himself. It's, it's worth noting that this does fit a larger pattern. And, and those of you who have been a part of this, this series any time, you, you may remember that what we've been saying is that if you really want to grapple and understand these I am statements in John's gospel, it is oftentimes helpful to do two things in terms of your reading strategy, and that is to read broad and to read back. 
So it's, it's in terms of reading broad. So just thinking just of John's gospel, to say nothing of the other three, just thinking of what we see in John's gospel again and again and again and again in Jesus' words and deeds, we see his authority. The authority of Jesus just coming out repeatedly in his miracles, of course. It begs the question, well, then who is this? Then, of course, we could just say, well, then the, there's you know, the I am statements we've already looked at, but it's so many other places and so many other ways as well. This is, this is the incarnation, the reality of the incarnation, God in the flesh bearing itself out such that he actually has the right to say this. Jesus actually has the right to speak in this way. So that's reading broad. Now reading back, going back into Old Testament history, just, just think briefly with me, okay, how, how, do, how much you see this sort of thing in, in the past, and, and maybe it, this is sort of what we see with Jesus is possibly fitting into a larger pattern. Well, going think back to our series in Leviticus uh, some weeks ago, uh, Aaron being the only one who was chosen and allowed to represent the people within the sanctuary because of God's choice. Or you think in terms of all the different ways that the Lord makes clear that, yes, you can come into my presence this way, the ways that I have ordained and told you, but not according to what you want and make up. Or just perhaps the most graphic of all of these in terms of how it is the Lord who ordains this access or not. You think in terms of that curtain that divided the holy place from the holy of holies within both the tabernacle and the temple. And the only one who could move through that curtain was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. Anyone else, and it would be fatal. You, you can see with this, that, that, that flow of history, Jesus steps into that and then says what he does in John 14. So it's startling, but not unheard of, that God would speak in such striking ways. So what is he saying? Again, uh, well, the, 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 he declares, he, he makes this, this threefold assertion of himself. I am the way. Uh, I am the only access that there is to God provided by God. It's me. I am the truth. I am the one sure revelation of God. Again, come to you from God. I am the life. I am the only one who has life in himself. Not, not, not a created life. I have life in myself as God, and I give that life to you. Some scholars have, have pointed out that perhaps one way to think of this, this threefold, this triad, the way, the truth, and the life, it is because that Jesus is, in fact, the truth and the life, that he is the way. It's quite possible. That's quite possible, a, a good way to look at the text, especially since the emphasis of the text is on Jesus as the way, the only way, the only means of access that we have to God. This is his claim. And again, it fits the pattern of the whole of Scripture, striking as it is. Now, here's the question. That's the claim. Here's the question. What do we do with this? 
what do we do with this? I just have a very simple application. Put yourself there that day in the crowd and imagine you're hearing him say this to you for the very first time. And let the weight of those words land on you. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Clearly, he intends for us to understand. We are to come, we are to look to Jesus alone because he alone is the way to God. That's the claim. Now then that's followed up with this the implications that Jesus himself draws, lest we miss it, lest we miss it. So that's actually the, 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 the assertion is the first part of verse 6, and the, the implications are what he states in that second sentence there in, in verse 6. So he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. With that in mind, no one comes to the Father except through me. Again, the implications of this. Where do we go with this? Now, the first thing that's worth noting and saying here is, and this may surprise you, but it's worth saying still, the inclusiveness of the gospel. Now, that's not the main point, obviously, but if you look at the whole text of what we read, it is there. It is, it is hinted that. And what I mean by the inclusiveness of the gospel, I mean how, how very broad it is. How very broad it is. Uh, it is our, our standing our security with the living God is not by merit. It is, is in no way, it has nothing to do with where you're from, who you know, what you've done, what you bring to the table. It has nothing at all to do with what you do. Which such means, you realize how inclusive that is. How broad that then becomes. No one is ruled out because of this special checklist that then you have to abide by. But rather, it's not by grace, excuse me, it's not by merit, but by grace. It's not by merit, our standing, our security with God is not by merit, but by grace. It is by unearned, free mercy that flows out of the, the loving kindness of God's heart and ours is only to lay hold of that. Ours is only to lay hold of that. And, and clearly, that is the only way, the only way any of us, the only way any of us, and it is for everyone, to come to God. Do you see how radically inclusive that is? That is the most inclusive message on the face of the earth. More so than any other worldview, faith, philosophy, or religion. Christianity stands alone here in terms of its wide inclusiveness, having nothing to do with merit, only to do with grace. Now, okay, that said, the emphasis of the passage is obviously not the inclusiveness of the gospel, but the exclusiveness of the, of the gospel. Again, verse 6, Jesus says, however uncomfortable it may make us, this is what he says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. 
So there's an absolute negative that Jesus lays out here. There are no special passes that are granted. No coupons. Um, no exemptions. He says, no one comes to the Father and praise God. That's not where he stopped. No one comes to the Father except, what a word, except through me. He is, can I just put it this way, the sole port of entry. He is the only road out of the disaster zone. He is the only path home to safety. He could not be clearer in, in what he is saying here. That's the implications of that startling claim that he makes there in the first part of, of the verse. Now, again, what do we do with this? It's, we, he, the, the, what, what he's saying is obvious. What do we do with this? Well, actually, I want to go right back to the last thing that we ought to be doing with this, and that is, again, putting ourselves there. Putting ourselves there. Let me roll that out a little bit more this time. You're standing there amidst the crowd, and there's this man standing before you, a human being, a first-century Jewish man standing in front of you. He looks like every other guy there. He sounds like every other guy there. He smells like every other guy there. But then there are these words that don't sound like any other person there. And, and, and frankly, on the, on the lips of anyone else, these words would sound like those of a madman. Right? They would sound like the words of the greatest megalomaniac this world has ever seen. Right? And yet... If you've hung around this man at all, you know he's the most wise and winsome person you've ever encountered. What do we do with this? You know if you've been around him any time at all and you've listened to others who've hung around with him, say like the disciples, right, who've been traveling with him all this time, and they tell you, of how, you know, his days, he just seems like to, it just oozes out of him. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Constantly, consistently, continually. My God, it's like it's natural to him. There's no madness or megalomania to this man at all. So what is he saying? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to go here except, again, to say we must look to him alone. If we're taking his words seriously, if we're taking him seriously, we must look to him alone because it is in him alone that we find access to God. Now, let, let's end with this, lest there be any misunderstanding, lest there be any misconceptions as to what Jesus is saying and, and the tone also. Perhaps this is helpful as well, especially in our 
hyper-conflicted age. Perhaps it's worth noting the tone here as well. Jesus is not saying that non-Christians have no worth. That's not what he's saying. Every man, woman, and child, every single person is made in the image of God according to his likeness is of inestimable worth, of unfathomable value. James says, in, in essence, right, Will? James says, in essence, to, to strike at another human being, even in speech, is to strike at God himself. Okay, that, that's how valuable human beings are, our fellow human beings are. That, that is not, Jesus is not saying in any way that non-Christians have, have no worth. Nor is he saying that non-Christian faiths, philosophies, world religions, and worldviews are of no worth. He's not saying that either. We have a lot to learn if we have but ears to hear from these other perspectives. We do. We really do. But, here's the thing. Not everyone can be right. Not everyone can be right. Even the most relativistic pluralist that you know maybe it's you, <laughs> has to admit when pressed this reality, I'll just put it that way, that to say that all claims are valid and no claims can be ruled out because we've come far enough to know that there's no such thing as exclusive claims is itself, you know what, an exclusive claim. It's a snake that's eating its tail. It's a, it, it, it doesn't work. Your um, Wiley Coyote, Looney Tunes, cult, you know, pop culture reference, stay with me, people. Your Wiley Coyote on the wrong end of the branch as you're sawing away about to go over the cliff. Okay? Um, think with me. Let me use this image, if I may. I don't know if any of you have heard, heard this. It's not a commonly used metaphor. Um, imagine, if you will, a library shelf that is full of books, okay? This is the worldview library, okay? And, and it's all on one shelf. It's, it's a heavy shelf. Um, and there are books upon this shelf, and each book represents a, a, a world religion, faith, worldview, philosophy, okay? So on this shelf, and you can see on the, the spines uh, of the covers, you see... Oh, look, there's Buddhism, and there's Hinduism, and there's Islam, and there's Judaism, and there's Christianity. And you keep reading, and you find all these other offshoots and, and other things from other places and times, cults and, and such. And as the, 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 uh, the shelf is filled with these. And every one of them is saying, in essence, this is the way, with apologies for the Mandalorian. Every one of them is saying, this is the way. Oh, and then you know a relatively new entry on the shelf, a relatively recent copyright in this book. And this book is entitled Postmodern Relativistic Pluralism that says every claim is right, no claim is wrong, we can't rule any of them out, they're all fine. Okay, think with me, people. That's just another book on the shelf. That's all that is. That book, that assertion has no power 
over all of the other ones. That's just one more book. It's just one more view in the worldview library. You see? So, what do we do with this? Where are we? At this point, it, we simply have to face this bookshelf with open, an open mind and, and a teachable heart that's willing maybe even to examine the books. Consider the claims. Stand there before the bookshelf. And listen to Jesus as he comes behind you and puts his hand on your shoulder and gently says into your ear, Friend, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can we pray? Jesus, would you help us to hear? Would you help us to feel the weight of your words? No one else could say this. Not in reality. Not in reality. Not with any sanity. No one else could say this, and, and you did. You did say it. You have said it. You are saying it. May we, those here who are your disciples, hear you and carry that message with winsomeness and conviction, listening and engaging. May those of us here who are seeking, who are questioning, who are asking and wondering and pondering, oh, would you help us there to hear and to embrace, to work out the implications of what it means from that point, but, but to hear you at this point and to trust you at this point. And thank you for, thank you for the full revelation of, of who you are and can we say how you feel about us as revealed at the cross that is expressed and signified here at the table? And we know here your love is so good, not just that we see what you've done for us at the cross, but indeed you don't want us to forget. And so you bid us to come. We pray in your